I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Ian Lee. Thank you so much for downloading Ian Lee's Random Access Memories, a retro gaming podcast. Do check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E. And also go to my YouTube channel and look for the Random Access Memories there. Again, it's youtube.com slash Ian Lee. Thanks for downloading. Uh, uh, we are recording. So it's we good. are recording. Let's dive into it. Welcome to Random Access Memories, a retro gaming podcast. Every week I invite someone on to talk about a game that means something to them, uh, that has some relevance, some importance. I never uh, joined by Neil from RMC Retro. Neil, I never define the word retro, mm. and I wonder what retro means to you. Oh, yeah. I was listening to your podcast with Retro Faith uh, last week. Yeah. It was a tricky one. It's a really tricky one to que- to, to answer. Um, a lot of people will define it as 20 years. They'll just say 20 years and that's it. That's retro. For me, something retro, it has to make you feel warm and fuzzy. There has to be that, that nostalgic connection to it for me. Um, so something retro is something that takes me back. There's my phone going. Can you believe this? Uh, How rude. This every, is every week. <laughs> Every week there's an issue, there's a dilemma. So something that takes you something back. Something that takes you back. Now, th- there's a there's a huge flaw in that because I run a channel that talks about things that we call retro and yep. many of those things I never had in the first place. But a lot of those things I might have seen in the Argos catalogue. I might have seen on the high street and really wanted. So I can I can even get nostalgic about things I didn't have because now I can get my hands on them. Let's there's, do a little... There's no right answer, Ian. No, there isn't. And that's the beauty of this. Everyone, uh, in a couple of weeks, we've got someone coming on who's never played a video game in their life. Wow. It's exciting. <laughs> she, she, is, she is hugely connected with video games. Right. Everybody who's ever played a game will know her voice. She's never played a game in her life. And that okay. is the beauty of this. Um, 
Let's get a little introduction from you, first of all. So RMC Retro YouTube channel, they're a podcast, there's a physical place. Do you want to just tell the listener, you know, what your background is and, and how you're connected to this world? Sure. Okay. So primarily, I am a YouTuber making videos about all this retro stuff. Started out 2017 uh, in my spare room, uh, just tinkering, just making videos about games flight sims primarily okay i'm a bit of a flight sim nerd um and then moved on to repairing things uh, the uh, the amiga 500 for example i did a video on repairing the amiga 500 and talking about my experiences of owning one back in the day and how much i loved it and that kind of took off um over the years uh, to turn into a physical space so we've gone from tinkering in the back bedroom to having multiple museums a beautiful you know, four-story mill in the Cotswolds, mm. um, an arcade museum, a computer and console museum, where I still make the videos and treat it as a studio. But people now can come and visit me and um, and try all the things out that they see on the channel. So obviously there's a big gap in that story <laughs> that needs filling. <laughs> but that's the journey. Uh, you know, that's the summary of, of, of where we are. Yeah. I haven't been to the museum yet. I'm, I'm, I'm coming at some point. Get ready. But I haven't been yet. I just want to go back to something you said. Hmm. People under, let's say, under 40 will not know the excitement of getting the Argos Argos catalogue and flicking through it. That really was a huge part. The run-up to Christmas, going through the catalogue. I'll have that. I want that. It It was like a window to another dimension. It was so exciting. Yeah. And uh, do you know, I can tell you uh, a way to measure how nostalgic that is. Go on eBay and look for a 20 year old Argos catalogue. They're 40 or 50 quid. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, people want them because I thought I'll get one for the museum. I've got various old gaming catalogues and magazines and things like that. And people love to pick them up. So I thought, wouldn't it be brilliant to put an Argos catalogue in there? 40 or 50 quid even more if you're going back into the 80s god knows how much the pens cost to get that if you can find an authentic little argos pen that's amazing what was what was gaming like for you growing up when did you first go oh there's these things called computer games um around about 1985 86 Mm -hmm. it was uh christmas morning and amstrad cpc 464 appeared it was a joint present for me and my brother um, my dad had obviously been, obviously been playing on it the night before uh, from the way it was laid Brilliant. out and the things that had been opened. And um, that was it for me. So it was a joint present. But my brother immediately played on it for five minutes, ran off to play football. He was into right. football. Whereas for me, just that moment of seeing that a television screen, or in this case, you've you got a monitor with your Amstrad, seeing that television could be interactive, that you could control something on the screen. Yeah. I think a lot of people of a certain age had that moment this is a two-way thing. I can actually control this. Um, and that leads into other things. It leads from gaming into wanting to be able to control that yourself through programming and all of the other things that you want to do with computers. But that that first moment you realize you can interact with a TV screen is huge, I think. We have one of those binatone, those all, and if you hmm. see me moving, it's because I've got a cat that likes to climb all over the things. Come and sit here. We had a binatone pong machine and, you know, it was it was okay, but it wasn't great. When we got our first computer, the Dragon 32, not oh. a great computer, but I've got, a, I've got a big soft spot. Typing words on the screen. Yeah. We, we'd never seen anything like it. It was incredible. Yeah, so how does a kid these days comprehend what a big step that is? What is their equivalent? I don't know. It's TV has always been interactive for them, whether it's streaming services or video games. There's always been that two-way 
control. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what the equivalent is well, now. If you, if, you had, if you hand any screen to a kid now, they'll start tapping it and, and doing the enlarged Oh, we thing. see that in the museum, yeah. Yeah, even on, say, an Amstrad CPC, I've seen a kid like tap the play symbol on the top of the computer rather than pushing the actual <laughs> button because, you know, phys- yeah. big physical clunky buttons are, are even less of a thing these days. Yeah. So you do get, we'll, we'll talk about the game in a second that you brought, you do get a lot of kids coming to the museum because I, I, part of me thinks, well, not part of me, some people will think it's just boring old men going along and reliving their youth. But actually, I know that's not true because I know my kids... I took them to one of those retro arcades, the Pixel Bunker in Milton Keynes. Yeah. They love it. They love it. If they see Chucky Egg set up on my BBC, they will go and spend some time playing Chucky Egg or Repton. So you get a lot of kids come to the yeah, museum. Yeah, just tomorrow we've got a half-term session specifically aimed at kids and their parents, uh, and it's sold out. Um, and it's got a really, really good reputation every half-term now or school holidays, and it always sells out now. So the kids want to come. Obviously, they can make connections with sonics and marios they can see them but i think they find a lot of the games very very accessible they're just not too complicated to sit down and play in a way many of the old games are very similar to mobile games they can just sit down and they can play on them and then when you go into the arcade a full-size you know seven foot arcade cabinet with a lit up marquee and all the sounds coming out of it it's just as impressive now Mm. as it was to us in the 80s regardless of what games on it so that really attracts them and pulls them in so yeah so what game are you bringing to us today? This is a game that I have a, a, a t- I've had a tiny experience with years and years ago. So, so tell us what you've got and why. Okay, so I've kind of, I think I feel like I've bitten off more than I can chew for the <laughs> time we've probably got on this podcast because I haven't chosen a game. I've chosen a, a whole series which spans over twenty years and ten games. <laughs> okay, we've got half an hour, Neil. I'll tell okay, you that now. okay, that series is Ultima. Yeah. Um, by a chap called Richard Garriott. And uh, there, there's so much to talk about with this series. He started programming it in 1974 on a teletype. Wow. Um, so he didn't even have a, a screen when he started programming this. This is a guy who was big into Dungeons and Dragons. You know, the traditional sit down with your pen and paper. Someone takes on the role of the dungeon master and, and you play the game that way. Well, he wanted to make an electronic version of that. His dad was a NASA astronaut. So he had access to all kinds of technology. I went to a pretty good school um, with access to all of this stuff. So he had access to a teletype machine, an electronic typewriter, into which he had a punch um, reel of of paper, which he punched his program into. And he wrote a Dungeons and Dragons game. And (laughs) when he finished the first one, he thought, I can do this better. So he did it again and he did it again. And he wrote 28 versions of this game through the 1970s. Until finally, his dad turned up one day with an Apple II computer with a screen. And of course, he thought, okay, I can, I can turn my game into a, a video game now. So version 28B of Dungeons & Dragons actually had graphics. And he wrote his first video game, and that was uh, 1979, uh, a game which he called Acalabeth which many consider to be Ultima Zero. Right. And from there, he just carried on doing the same. I can do better. I can do better. And he just kept rewriting and rewriting his his dream Dungeons & Dragons game, which became the Ultima series. This is incredible. And this this is a real, you know, it, 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 he's inventing this stuff because yeah. before 1974, what is there? Not a lot. There's a few of those massive computers in a couple of universities, maybe a text, uh, you know, Colossal Cave, maybe um, Space Wars or something like that. He's 
he's inventing something as he goes. He really is, yeah. And and it really took off for him because um, he had a job at a place called Computerland where the owner saw him tinkering with his Apple II uh, program and said, do you know what? That, that's better than the games we've got, the few games that we've got on the shelves here. And most of the games we've got are just ripoffs of Pong or whatever's in the mm-hmm. arcade. You've created this entire world. Um, stick it stick it on the shelves. So his mum uh, drew the art for it. He put it in a little Ziploc sandwich bag, hung it on the, on the peg. And within a few months, uh, a publisher called, uh, I think it was California Pacific, picked it up. And it had sold 30,000 copies. Wow. He got $5 a piece. In today's money, he made £600,000 <laughs> on his incredible. first game in a sandwich bag. You know, absolutely crazy. And again, we, we, to, to, to young people, we're speaking Chinese because, first of all, my kids laugh at me if I buy a game on a disc. Why, yeah. why do you want that? But also, I remember the early days of the Dragon, 82, 83, I'd have been 9, 10, 11, You'd get a magazine and you would go through adverts in the back and there would be people selling the games Mm -hmm. they had written themselves and they would come in little Ziploc bags, black and white Xeroxed covers, if you were lucky. And that was how you got your games to to start with. You didn't know what you were going to get. And it's this homebrew thing that you're talking about, this homemade thing that suddenly, for some people, grew into a massive business. It did. It grew into a huge business. And and from that, he started his own software company called Origin Systems. Um, so he, he he flirted with Sierra um, and with a couple of other publishers. And then he thought, you know what, I can do this better with mm. my brother and set up his own company um, and, and went on from there. And so successful was he in his company that uh, 2008, he himself went up on a rocket to the International Space Station and followed in his dad's footsteps, but of wow. course paid for it because he wasn't employed by NASA. So, you know, that's a measure of the success he had through these games. Um, but yeah, the f- it's so, so significant. Sorry, and I interrupted you. No, I was, I was inter- you interrupted me interrupting you. Just saying, going to space has never appealed to me at all. It's, it's the one thing I go, I'm terrible on roller coasters um and and so going up into space which is just like one giant roller coaster i'm not interested in that at all i don't know if that's something that would appeal to you <laughs> i used to work for a, a company that owned a lot of the theme parks uh, and so i would go on staff test days before oh, they open no. to the public so you know we, we would test the roller coasters for the start of the season make sure they were safe i'm okay with that Oh, really? Okay. I, my, 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 uh, I took my boys to Chessington, which is lower down the fear factor. Yeah. Um, I, I can't do it. We were lucky enough to go to Universal in Japan in the summer. And just some of the... I, nah, mate, I, I'll go on the Jaws ride. I'll go on a little one. But I, 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 that stuff where you spin backwards and go up and down, I'm fine. Thank you oh. very much. But you're, you're great with that stuff, are you? Uh, well, it was 10 years ago. It may be a different story now, but <laughs> it was fine then. We yeah. should probably say, we, we've talked about the game, but we don't know what it is. What yeah, is so, Ultima? So, um, a Calabeth, so Ultima Zero, is considered to be the first ever RPG, published RPG. Right. So he basically invented computer role-playing games. Uh, and from there, with each iteration, as I say, he, he, he thought he could program it better and indeed he could. He, he made a better and better engine each time, which really pushed the boundaries of computers with each, with each release. It was actually Ultima 6 that I got on board with the series, so I was right. a little bit later in the series. Um, and, then, uh, and then Ultima, Ultima 7 is really... Uh, Richard Garrett himself says that um, he considers 4 
7 and Ultima Online to be the pinnacle um, of the series. And I was, I know this because I was fortunate enough to interview the guy um, during lockdown a couple of years ago. Okay. um, Which was, you know, on the whole journey of the YouTube channel, probably a highlight for me. And and of course, talking to you, Ian. um, Thank you very much. (laughs) No need to, but it's appreciated. He's always been, you know, a hero of mine. So to get the chance to actually interview him enabled by the success of the channel was just a dream and we got how to did hear you, these stories how did you get that did you just email him because one thing i found i'm, I'm big into 60s music uh-huh. and i would email the you know the websites of this roger mcguinn from the birds or john sebastian from the loving spoonful asking for an interview they would get back it was either them or their wives that would write back going yeah when do you want to speak to them and i'm like oh my god these people are approachable was it that easy for you to get him it was that simple, but I will caveat that it was during lockdown, and I think people just had a lot of spare time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. so so they were just filling their time. So, um, but it was, and it helps when you've got a platform for them to say, "Okay, are, are people going to hear my story? Is it worth my time?" And um, you know, of course, plenty of people got to hear that through the channel. So, yeah, very fortunate for to be in that position. What did it feel like when, you know, just five minutes before that Zoom meeting or whatever it was when you meet online to interview him? Were you nervous? Were you excited? Oh, God, bricking it, Ian. Absolutely <laughs> bricking it. You know, and my, my way of getting through anything like that is to try and be as prepared as possible. But in the, in the um, you know, in the example of an interview, you can be overprepared. Mm-hmm. You can just then sound like you're trying to read from a script or something like that. So you've got to find that balance. Um, the most frustrating one for me was... Uh, Peter Molyneux booked him for an interview. Okay, yeah. Three times he cancelled on me. <laughs> now, <clears throat> and every time I spent like a day prepping and making sure I was ready. Oh, no, he didn't turn up. Peter Molyneux, I don't know. Listen, I, th- th- this podcast, there, I, I am an enthusiastic amateur, right, with huge gaps in my knowledge. The, the, the shows you do this week in Retro and the other things, you lot are far more knowledgeable than me. However, I know that Peter Molyneux has created some incredible games, He's also considered by some to be the king of bullshine. Um, and, um, and he kind of, I guess, I guess the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I'm not totally sure. How, what was the, when did he cancel? Like a few minutes before? Um, just didn't turn up. We had a time oh. arranged, just didn't turn up. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had to communicate through his PA in that example. Yeah, just, just didn't work out. So the third time I just said, I'll oh, just forget it. I'm, I'm, I'm losing too much time prepping for this if he's not going to turn up. Anyway, um, there are some, I guess, comparisons to be made between Richard Garriott and Peter Molyneux in the okay. later years because um, Ultima evolved to become Ultima Online, which was just this huge, massively multiplayer online version of Ultima before World of Warcraft took off. This thing was huge. This was just at the cusp of broadband, so we were still dialing up on our modems Mm. to get into it. Thousands of people playing this role-playing game. And um, a lot of things were learned through this game, and one such thing was a housing market evolved in the game where you build a house, you have a deed, you can transfer that deed to someone else. So people then started selling these on eBay for as much as... $10,000 $10,000 for a okay, castle. Okay, wow. <laughs> so this whole housing market evolved. And so if you fast forward 15, 20 years, Electronic Arts have got the rights to Ultima at this point. Um, Richard Garriott wants to make a new RPG but can't use the Ultima name. So he kickstarts this thing called Shroud of the Avatar, the spiritual successor of Ultima. 
And it was such a letdown because it seemed that a game had been built around a virtual housing market with a game tacked on. And the whole intention was like, how can we monetize this kind of thing? And that all felt very Peter Molyneux in its approach. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you like it so much? What does Ultima do for you? Um, It takes me back to a time. So Ultima 6, Ultima 7 was an an UO was the peak for me. So I was late teens. I had a lot of spare time on my hands. And and what seemed to be unfolding in front of me on my screen was just this limitless world in which everything could be interacted with. Like, I mean, everything. You could read books on the shelves. You could grow corn, grind it into flour, bake bread. Everything in this world was living and breathing in a way that I'd never seen in any game before. Um, So whether or not you even followed the quests, you know, you could you could just go and slay all the villagers if you wanted and put them in a chest. You know, you could do whatever you wanted. You would, there was a system of virtues and morals, which meant you wouldn't be able to complete the game if you behaved right. in that way. But, you know, you just go back to a saved game when you've had your fun <laughs> and, then, and then carry on. When you've had um, your fun. That's, that's when you've those had the words from fun. a very sick man. It was very it? sinister, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so it was just this great big sandboxed game, completely interactive. And Richard Garriott also really pushed the concept of feelies. So when you got your game, you got a cloth map, you got like a oh. gemstone, you got a coin, you got all of these things. And then within the game, uh, after game three onwards, no, game four onwards, you were known as the avatar. So you were playing yourself within the game. So, of course, if you feel like you're yourself within the game, you yeah. carry your own morals within the game. Um, so you've got yourself in the game. You've got this physical connection with the feelies. You've got your map on the wall. It's just all encompassing and engaging. And it was it was just really nice. Uh, when I was growing up, when I was a kid, and I had my BBC Micro, we, we progressed from the Dragon to the BBC Micro because you it was had, educational. You had an interesting <laughs> computer history from Dragon to BBC. My parents just <laughs> wouldn't listen. Um, and the dream from, you know, even having that BBC was to, was to play games with friends mm-hmm. remotely. And I remember my friends, Christopher and Orlando, and they had a BBC. They were really lovely guys. They were also um, liars in this <laughs> instance, in case they're listening, in this instance. And they told me, they said, you never guess what happened last night. We were on the BBC and suddenly this clock appeared and we were getting messages from other people. And I'm like 11, 10 years old going, oh my God, this sounds awesome. And they said, yeah, all we did was we put the phone next to the computer. So that even... <laughs> And you had to take the computer out to the phone in the hall. I'm there with the phone and I'm typing hello. And of course, nothing is happening. But the dream from that age was to play remotely with friends. And late 90s, early 2000s, that suddenly became impossible. And again, was huge. Hmm. What was was what was Ultima Online like for you? Making that leap from playing at home on your own to suddenly entering a, a world with other people. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, it wasn't the first online game I played, okay. but it was, it was the first online game I played where you had literally thousands of people within the game world. It wasn't just two or three people. Yeah. So it, it elevated Ultima from feeling like a living, breathing, single-player game to a living, breathing game where anything could happen. You know, a random dude might just run naked past you, you know, pursued by thought. a bear Carry or something I'll come like back that. in a second. <laughs> oh, well, I, let me, I t- I'll tell you why that, I'm, that point has, has hit with me. Because okay. I played a few of these, these games back in the day. I remember, remember playing Half-Life for the first time on dial-up and, and, you know, people glitching and hanging in the air, but it was so exciting. Um, EverQuest, I played for a bit. Now, I did try Ultima. And this, mm-hmm. it sounds like this, this happened in one game, and I couldn't remember what it was. It must have been Ultima. Spawned in, first ever game, built up my character, all of that. And I went up to someone, it's Ultima Online, and said, I've never played this before. What did this? Oh, this is great. Follow me, and I will get you some, I'll give you some weapons and some gems oh, or whatever. <laughs> so he took me up an alleyway. He said, right, I'm going to give you some armor. Take, take your clothes off. I went, okay, <laughs> took my clothes off and gave them to him. And then he ran off. <laughs> and I'm in my first game naked. Is that it, it, that would have been Ultima, would it? That sounds pretty typical. I'm not, I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't do that to anyone, but I saw it happen a lot. And um, <laughs> this this is another problem with the game is that if you weren't really there from the start, you're joining a game <laughs> where people have been playing for years and have got all the power. Yeah. And and you know the most powerful ones were often the naked ones because they'd leveled up so much. That, you know they were untouchable so they would kind of fool you by pretending to be uh unarmed yeah. and then take you down but what but a wild no. world to be suddenly I would, honestly i was i was so thrilled that i'd been conned in that way i thought what a game yeah. this is amazing um do you still play it? When did, when did you kind of start moving away from Ultima in I any of its incarnations? You can still play Ultima online using fan run. They're called Shards, the online right. service. So they, you can still log on, but it's a real hardcore group of people that run it now. World of Warcraft really took over. Yeah. And knowing how addicted I was to Ultima online, I, I didn't touch World of Warcraft. I knew it would be such a time sink. And, um, you know, I was moving into the realms of having to hold down a full-time job. It just wasn't possible. Um so beyond that, Shroud of the Avatar dipped into it, saw what it was and was bitterly disappointed with it. And so it's really it's really in the past for me now. Um, there is a fan project on which you can play Ultima 7 uh, on a modern computer. Um, wish I could remember the name of it off the top of my head now, but it's not hard to find. So I would say anyone who's interested, perhaps start with that and Ultima 7 and see how you get on with it. Yeah. It's, um, I did watch a video last night of someone playing it now. Yeah. It still looks beautiful. That, mm. that art style is just gorgeous. It is. Um, are you talking about Ultima 7 specifically? This was Ultima Online. Oh, online, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. similar to it, that isometric view. Yeah. 2D, really nice. Um, and Ultima did dip into the 3D world with Ultima 9, 
because the late 90s everything had to be 3d oh god didn't so it? they they tried to make a 3d version of it which was buggy as hell and part of the reason it was so buggy was because nine and ultima online were developed at the same time electronic arts said uh, we don't know why you're making ultima online nobody's interested in that kind of game because such a thing had never been successful before yeah and then as soon as they trialed Ultima Online and saw how successful it is and realized, hang on a minute, we don't just sell the game, we sell a monthly subscription. This is a this is a cash cow. So they shifted a huge part of the team of Ultima Nine onto Ultima Online. And so Nine suffered and was rushed out. And so we got this buggy as hell 3D version of Ultima, but this fabulous Ultima Online. You know, I would love to have seen Ultima Nine reach its potential, but I see why it happened. Yeah. Was there a period for you when you stopped playing games? Because there was something when I when at the end of the BBC's life, I never got into the Mega Drive. Never, I I played a couple of games on the Mega Drive, you know, a little bit of Sonic, but it, it didn't really touch me. So from the BBC, it wasn't until I went round to a friend's house years later and they had a black box on the telly. I said, "What's that?" And they went, "Oh, it's a Sega Saturn." Oh, I'll have a go at that. And I saw Wipeout on the Sega Saturn. The last thing I'd seen was Citadel on the BBC. Okay, yeah, and it was like. Oh my God, we got this good and I was back in. Was there a period for you where you kind of drifted away or have games always been a part of, of your life? Uh, to, to a degree, I'm kind of in that period because I, I always went back to the retro stuff because it was so easily accessible. You know, I bought <laughs> it, around about 2000. I picked up the yellow pages when that was still a thing. Wow, okay. I lived in Bournemouth, a seaside town. So I called all of the uh, local arcades that still remained and were just on their dying legs uh and managed to pick up an arcade machine for 50 quid so i stuck that in my house and and had that set up so i always had those retro games in my arcade and got to enjoy them um but then as life took over i had less and less time for modern gaming Mm. um so to be honest i'm really not up to speed on modern games i recently got a switch in an attempt to try and get up to speed wow look at you just Um, just as as its lifespan is coming to an end (laughs) so i've got that um so I would say I'm I'm kind of semi, you know, I've got one toe in the in the in the in the water there. Um, but retro is always moving forward, which is a challenge for the museum. We have to, you know, it can't be all about what's retro to me. You yeah. have to cater to the next generation. So I'll get to enjoy <laughs> I'll get to enjoy what's retro to the kids, but is new to me. You'll be playing the Wii U forward. soon enough. Exactly, Wii U. This is incredible. Without prying too much, this is how you make your living. It is. It's full time. Yeah. Incredible, so in the week, the museum is the studio where I make the videos. And then at the weekends, we open up to the public. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? I've been very, very lucky in my career on, on telly is I made a lovely documentary about video games. I got to go all around the world and play with Miyamoto and um, uh, the guy who invented Space Invaders. I can't remember his name and do that. I did a TV series that was was so so did so. And for for a part of my life, you know, video games paid for a kitchen in a flat that I had had once, you know. <laughs> and I look back and think, my God, did this really happen to me? Did I really earn money from talking about video games, playing games, going and meeting, you know, meeting Miyamoto, the, the, the creator of Mario? You talk about your experience. My God, it was like walking in and meeting John Lennon or something. Yeah. It, do you ever pinch yourself and go, oh, I, this can't be real. I'm making a living out of this. Every day, every day. And, and the, the best part about the job is seeing the people come into the museum and just instantly turn into little kids again, see mm. everything around them. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not the YouTube as much as I love it. 
that's the one thing at the moment that makes it all worthwhile for me just seeing people come and and share what we've created through the channel um it's fantastic so yeah i pinch myself every day and as i said earlier the chance to speak to people like richard garriott haven't got to the levels of miyamoto yet maybe one day maybe one day uh, you never know one day. Um, but i am starting to see more and more um companies take this retro thing and preservation of video gaming mm. history slightly more seriously and i really hope that more and more companies do get on board with that and take it as seriously as the history of the film industry or the music industry and and take strides to um help us to to preserve all of that history rather than just you know the old school way of thinking it's just video games yeah it's just video games who wants to save them i'm a big fan of emulators and all those hacks and all of those things they're great yeah. however Going to this arcade last week with the kids, these things are tactile. They're tactile. You need to get your hands on those little buttons with the little dips in, the Pac-Man joystick. You know, you need to be able to lean on a cabinet while you're watching your son play Donkey Kong. You know, that. all yeah. of that, you, you don't want to do that. You want to go there. There is something, I mean, arcades in particular, there is something wonderful about the walking into a darkened room and touching these machines. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, first of all, Pac-Man is not the greatest game ever. I'll just call you out on that for your oh, last week's show. Wow, okay. <laughs> Where would you rank Pac-Man in the top oh, 500? It's up there. It's up there. Um, for me, Robotron has got to be up there. Have okay. you ever played Robotron? Robo is that the one with two controllers? Two sticks. So the, I know you were talking about how you loved Pac-Man because it was just yeah. one stick. But yeah. if you can handle two sticks, Ian, it is, <laughs> it is all-encompassing. It is a full-body experience, a proper yeah. game of Robotron. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. When I talk about preservation of video games at the museum, it's not just about the things. It's about the experience. I really yeah. want to try and preserve that, the feeling of walking into an arcade and just being overwhelmed by all of the attract sounds from the arcades. Yeah. Um, or the, the the high pitch whine if you're lucky to be young enough from CRT monitors. <laughs> we often get kids complaining about that, um, <laughs> and the old joysticks and just just the whole experience. The longer we can preserve that, for the better, because emulators are fantastic, and I and I, I love that they exist. Um, but you, if you really want to experience it, you know, get get down to the arcade archive or down to the cave yeah. and, and try it out. Sorry, I almost turned into an advert there. I didn't Feel mean free to, to turn into an advert. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I am coming at some point. It's, a, it's, you know, where, whereabouts are you based? Is it Swindon? Why have I got Swindon in my Stroud head? Stroud in Gloucestershire, not even far further. from Swindon. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. I'm, I'm coming at some point. Um, going back to Ultima, what, what mm. is, what are your kind of abiding memories of it? When, when you think fondly back to those days as a young man uh, playing Ultima, what, what kind of memories come up for you? Um. <laughs> taking it to school is a is a weird one because i would play it at home and because it came with the feelies the books of law the spell books yeah. i would take them to school now i was from quite a sporty family um, i had an older brother who was at school and it's kind of set the precedent you're going to be a footballer you're going to be a rugby player you know all of this stuff and i was all of those things but very quietly without telling all the sporty friends i was in the corner reading my book of spells from ultima going right i need to get some more uh, regents tonight when i get home so that i can make this spell um and i loved it i loved the feeling that the game was more than just what was on the screen you know it was all encompassing uh i i do think i remember getting elite elite I, i'm a huge fan of getting mm. elite on the bbc 
and it came in a big old box. And and for PC games, they did. But but for a BBC, you didn't get anything like big old box. An instruction manual that was so thick. There was a novella in there mm. as well. Which, the which Dark had, Wheel. The Dark Wheel. Yes. And I remember devouring that on Christmas Day. The cassette, the, the strip that went above the keys. And again, oh God, <laughs> I, sound, I sound like an old man. And there's a good reason for it. It's because I am an old we man. Are. Yeah, we the are. kids, da- my kids downloading Spider-Man 5 on the PS5. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. I want to touch something. I want to put it on the shelf. I want to see it. I don't want to, you know, scroll through a menu and go, oh, yeah, I've got that. I've got that. I've got that. But that, that's, that is me just being old, isn't it, Neil? It is, but th- these things were also great for um, for the imagination gap, I guess, with the games because the graphics were so simplistic on some of these games. To read a novella, to fill in the blanks, or even just playing the game, you would you would just expand on the game's universe just just by filling in the blanks. Um, I think that's something that's missing from modern games because you don't need to. You look yeah. at Spider Man Five, and it's so realistic that the, there's no space to fill in those blanks. So uh, that's where things like the novella came in. Um, there are still some companies doing sort of limited run big box games. It happens from time to time, and I love it when they do. Um, yeah, and re-releases of games, but they're few and far between. Which is why in the museum I've recreated. You'll see this when you come and visit. I've recreated W. H. Smiths from the nineties. <laughs> I've seen pictures of it. It looks incredible. <clears throat> yep, my favourite room. I've got a BMX parked outside. You go in there. <laughs> And you just take in the the smell is the first thing that hits you. The smell of all the old cardboard boxes yeah. and, the, and the manuals inside them and everything. Oh, it's such a beautiful experience. Yeah. You talk about me being a weird kid with the dragon and the BBC. I wasn't allowed a BMX. I had a grifter. That's, oh, okay. But my grifter was my my dad. My, I may have told this on here before. My grifter was stolen. My dad used to work at the BBC in the props department, and he came home one day with a grifter and he said, "Yeah, that's I stole that from Grain Chill. That's Pogo Patterson's grifter." So. Whether wow. that was true or not, I don't know. But I, um, he, we, we, he, he did wake us up one day, take us to the lock-up garage, and there was a Dalek in there. So anything is possible. Oh, wow. What, what happened to that grifter? Did it just get ridden to death? Or? It got ridden to death. It must yeah. have. I remember I put on a blue and yellow tyre on the back because I thought it would make me do stunts better. <laughs> <laughs> I miss all of that nonsense. I miss all of that nonsense. Neil, so lovely to talk to you. And you, thank, thank you. Ian. Thank you for bringing Ultimate. Let's. You do have other business as well. I've, I'm a recent convert, and I say recent, maybe the last two or three months, to to the podcast this week in retro, which I absolutely devour. Um, that's on the all your usual podcasts uh, services. It is. We're looking forward to having you as a guest next week. So I'm a little bit nervous because you guys know your stuff, and I don't know stuff. I just fine. talk enthusiastically. <laughs> That's all we ask for. Okay. <laughs> Anything else that people need to know about you, where they can find you and stuff? Um, just look for RMC Retro on all the socials, on YouTube. Head to retrocollective.co.uk if you want to visit the museum. And um, that's it. That's that's me. I must ask, though, Ian. Yes. You, you ask people to, to present a game to you each week. Yeah. What do you do with the games? Is there like a room 101 that you, you put our games into? I take <laughs> them outside, them? I clean them and I burn them. No, I don't. <laughs> I, what I do is I let them float around in everyone's memories. And Here's what I, what I really hope. I hope at some point someone goes, oh, do you know, I never heard of that, but I booted it up and I had a go on it. And it was a lot of fun. That I like the idea of. And also in the previous few, I mean, this is only episode five or six, I'm not quite sure, um, 
So many people have got in touch and said, oh, my God, I can't, I can't believe anyone else remembers that game. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, for me, is what this is about. I'm putting it out into the universe and seeing what comes back to us. I agree. And I think that's why what we do has has, has exploded on, on YouTube and other channels in the last five, six, seven years. Because if you think back to when you were a kid and you were into Elite and all the other things, if you saw a single snippet of a video game on a TV show, you devoured that moment. Oh, yeah. You just devoured it because there was just nothing, nothing speaking to you saying, hey, you're a normal kid. This is this is what normal kids are doing. Um, so when things, you know, that's why we devoured Games Master. That's why we loved, you know, Thumb Bandits when you were doing that and everything else. And now YouTube has empowered us to be able to share these stories. Yeah. You know, we're all gobbling it up like we're 12 year old kids again <laughs> going yes this is the content we always wanted fred harris uh, and ian mcnaughton davis are heroes yeah, to me exactly. um so lovely to see you neil thank you so much for your time thank you ian that was a great rehearsal should we do it <laughs> should have pressed record <laughs> Well, that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, uh, Neil, for joining me today. Thank you very, very much to my wonderful Patreons. This show wouldn't happen without you. So I want to thank Martin Warren. I want to thank Beastie Boy. That's you, Craig. I want to thank Sam Hughes and, of course, Harsh Singh. And our executive producer this week is Matt Stanley Evans. Thank you so much, everybody. If you want to get the shows before they go live to the public, if you want to get the videos before they go live to the public, and if you want to get the podcast advert free sign up to patreon.com slash ian lee patreon.com slash i-a-i-n-l-e-e see you next time hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.